Welcome to Hello City, a lighthearted educational podcast about the built environment. I'm your host, Lisa Dunaway, AICP, Lead AP. And in this week's episode, I'm not really interviewing just one person like I normally would, but rather a group of people gave me feedback in order to make this episode. I emailed a large group of colleagues and former colleagues and asked them what their biggest workplace pet peeves were. So these folks are primarily urban planners and landscape architects. However, these are things that could apply to pretty much any modern workplace. I don't care if you're a lawyer, an accountant, a doctor, if you are someone who sweeps streets for a living, these things could probably apply to you. And I had to break down the responses into inner office dealings and outer office or external office dealings. So I'll preface each group of comments with whatever genre they fall into, but I'm going to start with inner office, interpersonal pet peeves, and then we'll do things that are more like dealing with clients and other external folks. So even though some of these mention something that has to do with like urban planning in them, I think that's still valuable for the lay person to know about because if you ever become a property owner in your life, chances are you're going to encounter or deal with an urban planner or someone from your building inspector's office. All of those are related governmental entities that you will have to deal with. So I still think this will be valuable to you no matter who you are, as long as you are an employed person in a modern workplace where you probably have to deal with meetings or emails. If you've ever left a voicemail for someone in any context whatsoever, and or you are someone who owns property or has someone in your family who owns property and you've had to help them do something like build a shed or whatever. So these are not necessarily in any sort of order, although some were far more frequent than others in terms of how many people said these were pet peeves of theirs. But it was incredible to me to see the frequency of some of these things that I wouldn't have thought would have been all that common, but I haven't worked in local government. So it made total sense once I started to read these complaints, like why this comes up so frequently and, and why it should not come up at all. So let's get to it. So I'm not going to necessarily directly quote anybody here, but there are some pretty funny things that people talked about, so I will at least paraphrase. Probably the second most frequent complaint was knowing when to reply versus reply all versus forward an email. Replying all means that everybody on that email is going to see your response. And when email was new, this got people in a lot of trouble because they would reply all and say stuff that they only meant one recipient, perhaps the original sender, to see, and everybody got to see it. And it sort of died off for a while, but now reply all is the default response on a lot of people's email providers. So let's say you're on your phone and you click the little arrow that's pointing to the left 
That might be reply all on your phone or in your email account. The place that I used to work, there were three people that consistently did reply all to every email that came from our dean's office. So these emails go to hundreds of people, including students and employees. And they would say things like, I can't make that meeting because I already have a lunch scheduled. Every freshman in the building does not need to know that you had a lunch scheduled. And there were three people who consistently did stuff like this over and over and over. And two of them were friends of mine. So I finally said something to both of them. And I was like, look, I hope you don't get mad, but I don't think you realize that you are replying all to emails that clearly you just want the administrative assistant to receive. And if it were me, I'd want somebody to tell me. So I'm telling you. And both of them were like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize when my email updated that reply all is the default now. Thanks. (laughs) When everybody does need to see the response, like your internal group and you're all doing something or planning a meeting or something when you only reply to one person that causes a lot of headaches for other people that came up a lot so really the half second more it takes for you to check that the recipients you intend for that email to go to are actually in the two or whatever it's called in your email provider that's a big deal That half a second makes such a big difference in the productivity and morale of other folks. There's also a large number of coworkers out there, it seems, that will hit reply and then CC my friends in the response and say, hey, can you look at this or that and then get back to this person? But the documents that they're referring to aren't attached because they didn't hit forward. Forward means that the attachments from your email are getting pushed to the next person. But doing a simple reply does not give people those attachments. That comes up so much, especially with older people. So just make sure that you're hitting forward if you need attachments to move on. There was one friend of mine who said that the reply all was such an issue for them that they started using BCC or blind carbon copy to help avoid people hitting reply all and sending their reply to dozens if not hundreds of people. So if you work out in a community and you have a mailing list for example, you could easily reply and send information to dozens or hundreds of people. So it's a really nice thing to do If you have more than one person that you're sending an email to and they don't need to know who else is getting that email and they probably don't need to see any replies from other people, just put everybody in the BCC column or two. Whatever your email says, I guarantee you you have a choice to do blind carbon copy or BCC. So take advantage of that. I use that so frequently. I even used it to send out my email asking people's pet peeves. Although most people on my email probably knew of each other, they didn't need to know that I was sending this to like 50 people and they didn't need to potentially get a reply back when they were really just needing to hear from me, right? So the BCC just took all of that out of the equation. 
I do that to avoid potentially annoying other people down the line, even though it wouldn't be my fault at all. This also came up quite a bit, and people hate when they ask two or three questions but only get an answer to one of them. And if you are the person in your office that people have to email four times, four different questions in sort of rapid succession, then you are guilty of this. Take note. It is so nice to have email because you have a record that you can refer back to. And when you're replying to someone, you can read what they wrote. How hard is it to just go down there and check that people ask three different questions and you're going to give them three different answers. You're not just replying to the first or last question in that email. If a, if a person has several questions, I will often go down into their email when I hit reply and change the color and answer each question directly after that question. And I love that when people do that for me too. It's great. Um, one of my friends was telling me that it recently took her four emails to get answers to three very, all caps, very simple questions because someone was paying zero seconds of attention. So she actually, I asked her to send me that email chain and she forwarded it to me and I was blown away. This was obviously someone who was like a student internship age person and they glanced, saw one keyword and sent a form reply that actually had nothing to do with the questions that my friend was asking. And I 100% guarantee you, if my friend were to have forwarded that whole chain to this person's boss, they would have been fired because it was such a blatant disregard for what she was trying to do. And it's that person's sole job to answer those questions. I could see who it was. And I know that that person is basically like customer service in their job, like helping point people in the right direction. And all they did was see one word and shoot off a, a form answer. And it took her like very politely emailing several more times and still she didn't get great answers. And it wasn't like she was asking for her own devices. Like she was doing something on behalf of a student. It was really important. So that made me feel really bad for her. And I have a, a colleague who I know will never listen to this. So I'll, I'll say this generally. Um, I have a colleague who is awesome about email, never takes a long time to reply, doesn't let emails pile up, never forgets to answer all the questions in an email. So I always know that I can email this friend of mine and ask three or four things. I just know based on my past history with him that I will get an answer, a good answer to all of my questions. And this one time recently, I asked several questions and then I had a couple statements that I made um, needing him to know something really important. And for the very first time ever, he clearly just read the email on his phone, like when you just do the one touch and didn't open the email and just saw what I wrote, whatever would fit on his screen and didn't respond to the rest of it. So I thought, I could tell he was replying from his phone, so I just thought, oh, it's it's not a big deal, like these other things that I'm saying, because he only answered the first thing. Well, then next week comes around, and it turned out like he had not read the entire email, 
and this is the first time I think this person ever did this to me, but it was significant in how much it set me back. I had my work tasks planned out for that whole week and had deadlines coming up that week that I had told him about. And because he didn't read that email, he thought that I was going to have to do all these things. I was able to do all these things like certain days that he wanted them done. And I ended up having to spend a lot of time in my evening, which I don't particularly like to do when it's someone else's fault. Like if I'm just piled on and need to work in an evening, that's one thing. But because you didn't read my email, now I have to work into the evening. That's not cool whatsoever. So make sure that you are taking the 30 seconds extra it takes to read a whole email. The opposite kind of problem from that though that came up quite a bit was not providing details or too little information. So then people, again, have to follow up several times. If someone's trying to do research or has someone waiting on an answer, that can be particularly problematic. So please, please just consider how you would feel if you're kind of under the gun for something, you need the answer to three questions, or you need someone to know like, hey, I'm not available on Thursday afternoon, but I'm available all day Friday or whatever it is. Make sure that you're being clear and direct, but also make sure that you're reading everything that other people send you. When you have an email, it's beautiful because if they have three questions, you can look back at that email and make sure you've hit all three. It's not like when you're having a conversation and somebody asks you three questions right in a row and you can't remember all three and you just answer the last two. You know, email is so beautiful for your ability to be thorough and organized and have everything documented. So the next group of complaints had to do with voicemails. And this might be the most common complaint. Otherwise, it's the second most common behind... um, meeting etiquette. So we'll get into meeting etiquette next (laughs) because there's some good ones in here. Related to what someone just said um, about not providing enough details or too little information. Likewise, leaving a very short voicemail with no context. Hi, this is Joe. Call me as soon as you get this. Joe who? I know eight Joes. No joke. And you, you may think because you talk to somebody quite a bit that they just recognize your voice. But if you work for the public, you're getting people that call from different phones all the time. Just you're constantly on the phone. So please don't assume that someone knows that you're this Joe or that their phone will tell them what phone number you call from. Not everybody has caller ID, even in this day and age. And my friend said this scenario is honestly worse than a three minute long voicemail where they're rambling about why they called. Most people wanna know a little bit about what they're gonna talk about before they get back on the phone with you. Otherwise, you're probably both wasting, you're wasting both of your time because someone's gonna have to look something up in order to get you an answer while you're both sitting there on the phone. Instead, somebody could have just figured that stuff out and then called you back once they had the answer and saved both of you so much time. And related to this, I used to have a boss that would send emails like, can you come see me right away? Well, 
Fuck, dude, I have anxiety. And so if you send me an email that says, can you come see me right away? I think I'm in trouble. And if I can't get there, you know, in the next five minutes, I'm going to have a fucking panic attack. So be considerate of other people, especially in an email. That one sentence could just ruin somebody's entire day, especially if they can't come see you until the end of the day or the next day. I would always assume the worst because that's the kind of person I am. And then every single time I would get to my boss's office, he would be like, what do you want from Jimmy John's in the work meeting tomorrow? Or whatever the hell it was. Like it was always, I was never once in trouble. It was always something so minor. He would just get it in his mind that he needed to, to ask me something instead of asking it over the email or just saying like, can you drop by and tell me what you want to eat for the lunch meeting tomorrow? That would have put all of my fears aside. And I probably would have been like, why can't I just email you that? But all right, fine. I'll just walk across the building and tell you what my lunch order is for tomorrow. Goofy, goofy, goofy. People who don't have anxiety, it doesn't even occur to them that saying stuff like that can really, really distress someone else. So try to be a little more empathetic and give a little bit more information, two to three sentences on top of, can you come see me, can either eliminate someone's fear because you're just going to have a simple question, or if they are in trouble, it helps them kind of like steal themselves for it and kind of prepare if they know what you're talking about then they can kind of figure out what they want to say in their defense and they they have that right you you know you blindsiding them with some sort of accusation is not fair no matter what they've done even like hey we had um someone send in a complaint about this situation do you know what i'm talking about will you stop by and see me so we can have a chat about it something like that three sentences done easy do that in order to just simply be more polite to your colleagues. So this is a funny one that's applicable to urban planners. And so we've talked about zoning before and how zoning affects where buildings are located, but also how do those buildings look and where can they go on a property? So it's very common for members of the public to leave a voicemail to a planner and asking them if they can do something but not give an address. <laughs> like if you want to open up a retail business, install some special type of sign or build a new garage, all of those things depend on what zone you are in. So if you don't leave an address, you can't get an efficient response from your local planner. You just got to tell them, you know, 123 Main Street or whatever it is. Again, it's one more sentence. Another complaint that I heard a few times was too frequent of voicemails. This can be a two-way street. If you go, like, let's say on vacation or you're going to be out of the office for a couple days and you don't do an out of office on your uh, voicemail recording or your email, that's mean because people will assume that you're just not answering them. And again, they may really need to know something. You may be holding them up. You may be making them look stupid to their colleagues. So if they don't realize that you are just completely off the grid, 
what are they supposed to do? Yeah, they're going to keep emailing you or voicemailing you. I recently was trying to partner with a firm on a project and we had a pretty tight turnaround to meet a deadline and I emailed my contact at this firm and I got a um, automatic email reply, which was nice, but it said that he was traveling for work for three days and would have intermittent access to email. Okay. So you're traveling for work and you'll have intermittent access to email, which means that you at some point, I assume in those three days, will be able to check your email and see my email. So I had to sit and be completely unproductive on this project for three days and sent two different emails over the course of these three days, just thinking like this guy was letting his emails pile up and missed my first one. So I'd send a second one. And if he had just said what was really going on, he was on fucking vacation. So like finally, when the deadline was so close that I had to do something, I called his office and they were like, oh no, he's gone for the week. Like not only was he lying about where he was and how long he was going to be gone, he was not checking his emails. So we could have completely missed that deadline and lost that project because this person was not clear and honest with their email reply. I don't know. That was very laissez-faire. It really, especially from this person, it really, really blew my mind that this person was like saying that they were taking a work trip, which means like you're, you're still present, you know, you can still be relied on and, and he wasn't at all. So like the, the amount that that was wrong was just super bad. So, so, so bad. But to return to the, the other thing, like frequency of voicemails, like if you are dealing with somebody and they're in your office or there's somebody that you have a lot of regular contact with, if you're having to leave voicemails frequently, chances are you should just like walk down the hall and find that person, right? Or call someone else in their office and just be like, hey, are they around? You know, maybe they had to call out sick that day. So if you're sitting there freaking out because you've called three times and not gotten a response, you know, if this is a, a, a reliable person, chances are they, they had to call out for the day or something. And so they don't have an away message on their voicemail recording. Other complaints, and uh, I've heard this from people everywhere in all kinds of different industries, but if you're leaving a voicemail asking for a call back, you have to leave some context, like a sentence or two, again, about why you're calling or why you need a return call. And if you don't leave a phone number, people are probably not going to call you back. Again, not everybody's phone has caller ID. And if someone gets a lot of calls to their cell phone, chances are they may not be able to pick out which one was yours. So it's 10 digits. Say them out loud. Here's my phone number. If you do leave someone a long voicemail, don't call them back or when they call you back, repeat everything you just said in your long email. Like you've already had your say. You can just keep moving forward with the conversation. Related to uh, long voicemails. So a lot of people who work in local government, especially like planners on call, which I'm doing quote fingers, planners on call. It's a, it's a job thing where you are the person whose turn it is to answer all the incoming calls. 
If you're calling a member of your local government, please do not assume that they have all the time in the world. These people are often overworked and very underpaid and do the jobs or two or three people because budget cuts have limited their ability to keep the number of staff around that they actually need. So do not tell personal stories in excess. People really truly do not have time most of the time to speak for 20 minutes to you about your home life or your kids or your dog or your neighbor. If there's a little bit of small talk, you know, I think that in America people sort of expect that. It's very cultural. Like people will even like make small talk, you know, with their cashiers at the grocery or the people in line with them. Like that's a very American thing to do. And it does help build rapport. So that's fine, but do keep it limited. Just remember, for most people, time is money, even if they work for local government. Similarly, if you call in the last minutes of someone's workday, you are really doing someone a disservice. Like if you have a complicated question, do not call somebody at 4.45 p.m. And in a lot of places, if phone calls are not returned the same business day, like people can get in trouble. So if you call at the end of the workday and someone can't find a solution for you because you've asked something very complicated, they might potentially get in trouble. And that's not fair. You know, if you realize when you pick up your phone, oh crap, it's like 20 till, just wait and call back the next day. You know, be nice. These people, I understand, do have jobs and are paid because of your tax dollars, but they really do not work for you and you alone. They work for the whole community. So it's not just about you. So now we're going to move from voicemails to the subject of meetings. This was by far the most common complaint about meetings or lack thereof, perhaps. (laughs) People that have no respect for the schedules of others. So similarly to calling at the end of the workday and having a question that's overly complicated, if you just show up and demand a meeting of someone, I don't care if they're in local government and your taxpayer dollars fund their, you know, beer fund, by God, they may have something to do that's more important than talking to you. I know, I know crazy. But I had several of my friends and colleagues report that people have gotten legitimately angry with them because they had to turn someone away because they had an actual scheduled meeting at that time. And people did not understand why that just trumped them just showing up. If you are doing some sort of unscheduled drop in and you can see that someone is clearly busy or someone, oh my God, is already on the phone or has got like their purse or their briefcase or their folders in their hand and they're standing up to leave. Like obviously these people have something else to do. Just be polite about it. Or if you're going to just pop by and ask something that could have been asked and answered in an email, that's so, so, so bad. Inviting someone to a meeting and not including them on the emails leading up to that email, are it's just awful. Like, that is a very condescending and patronizing thing to do. You're asking someone to just show up completely unprepared to that meeting 
when they may have had some really awesome things to contribute. Had they known that a bunch of you were having this email conversation leading up to this meeting. So make sure that you're copying everybody who needs to be copied on an email as soon as it becomes apparent that there's some sort of conversation and it's not just, you know, one or two people replying once to somebody. Keep in mind when you're asking for meetings, emailing people, a lot of people need documentation. So if you call somebody or drop in unscheduled to answer someone's email question, you're taking the chance that they actually needed you to do a reply all and type out an answer because they needed everyone to see that answer and have it documented. Especially when you're dealing with really important topics, it's so much easier if someone sends you an email and there's eight people CC'd on it for you to just answer it in an email and then all those people see your answer and that saved cumulatively hours of people's times. So then, you know, you're not having to go around as the recipient and check in with everybody. Oh, well, so-and-so stopped by my office instead of replying to my email and this is what he or she said. Again, put yourself in other people's shoes. It seems to be a very common problem that everybody assumes that they're busier than everybody else. And even if somebody's like said to you several times, like, hey, you're busier than I am, let me take care of this for you. Whether or not that's true, they may have just been saying that to be polite or because they're sick of waiting on you. So they wanna move forward. So there's like, hey, I know you're busy, let me take care of that for you. Whether or not that's actually true, they're doing you a huge favor, most likely. You can put your shit aside for three minutes and give their email an immediate reply. So you're not holding them up. Even if you think there's no possible way this person is as busy as I am, if they aren't as busy as you, you're holding them up from getting going on whatever they need you to answer. But if they are busy, maybe they're better at time management than you. Maybe they're more organized. Maybe they've got five other things going on and it's the easiest thing in the world for them to start on yours first because they know they're going to have to wait on you to move forward with the next step. So if you could just take a few minutes and give them what they need, they can keep pushing forward and then getting back to you later. Related to meetings where you're doing some online interfacing like Skype or Google Hangouts or conference calling, video conferencing, if you start group calls and there are new people that you do not introduce, that's really weird. And it's really helpful to know who's doing what on a project. Keep the introductions quick. Like if you've been friends with somebody for 20 years and you're super excited that they're on this project with you or you just hired them or whatever, people really don't need to know your high school football stories. So maybe you know you make a little joke about something, but do remember again, time is money and people got a lot to do. And if you are at the point that you're having to conference call, that means that everybody that's on that call is probably extremely busy. Otherwise they would have all agreed to schedule the thing in person and travel to it. Conference call is a surefire way to say like we are a group of extremely busy people and we need to keep this short and sweet. So if you're like the one person on the video conference that is just like talk, 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 
I guarantee you, <laughs> you're the only one. And every and look, you know, look at what everybody else is doing or read the tone in their voices. People are trying, probably trying to get you to move on. <laughs> and if you're sharing your screen, keep your mouth still. Move it off the screen. Don't leave it in the middle and don't like jitter it like you've got caffeine hand. If you are requesting a meeting, make sure you have the date right. This is something that comes up so much. People will say like, let's do this meeting on Wednesday, September 16th. When the meeting is Wednesday, September 18th. They didn't look at the right month. They didn't look at the right year. I don't know what it is, but if you really want people to attend your meeting on that day, make sure you know whether it's a Wednesday or a Monday, or is it the 16th or the 18th? Always double check that you have dates and days of the week correct. One final thing about meetings, and this goes more towards the younger listeners. This is an issue that came up quite a bit with people who actually aren't all that old in the profession. I mean, I had people that were in their late 20s say this. It's a recent issue people are having with interns. They are very unprepared for meetings or even one-on-one -on -one conversations with their bosses. And I mentioned in a previous episode how I used to have my tiny notebook that I carried with me constantly so that anything a boss said, I could write down. I'd put the date and who I was talking to when it was said. I'd star things. I'd read it at the end of the day and highlight whatever I needed to do for the next day. And then when I got it done, I'd check it off or whatever it was. Like it's the easiest thing to just carry a tiny notebook. Mine was always purse-sized, but I can write kind of small so it worked out. Whatever it needs to be, figure it out so that you are always prepared. And I noticed this um, as a professor, the number of younger millennials and Gen Z students who don't take notes is amazing to me, especially when you're in a class and you're being you know, expected to learn and absorb and you just think like you're gonna remember it all, that I don't understand that. People who don't take notes never do all that well in their classes as a whole. But then you get into the working world and you think you're just going to remember everything. I don't know. You're not guaranteed. If you don't take notes, you're going to screw up and you're not going to be able to follow directions. And your boss should not have to ask you to take notes. It's one thing if you're new in the job market and you're ill-prepared once or twice but that problem should not persist months into your internship, especially if you've been reminded more than once. You are not going to get a recommendation from that place. And sort of related to that, in terms of issues with younger employees, you, you have to realize that the, the way that you came through school and the way your parents' generation raised you is not the way that the working world operates. And I'm not putting you down by saying that. It's just that in the business world, you are not the center of attention and everything's not going to revolve around you. And if your boss asks you to do something, if you disagree with it, that's probably irrelevant. Unless you have a nice rapport with your boss and you can be like, okay, I can see why you're asking me this, but what if I did this? From my point of view, it would work better if this happened. Like you can do that certainly, but in a lot of situations, 
It doesn't matter why your boss is asking you to do something. They've asked you to do it and they probably have a very good reason for it. So the smart move likely is just to be like, okay, and just make it happen. I knew someone, for example, who got fired from his job because he was always on Facebook. Every time his boss walked by his cubicle, he was on his phone looking at Facebook. And I know Facebook doesn't have the popularity that it once did, but this was still only like seven or eight years ago. And this was this guy's first job out of college. And he got fired because Facebook was blocked on the work computers. So he used his phone instead and really just, I don't know, just thought that people weren't paying attention, but they were. Going back even further, this is not a new phenomenon. The first job that I had in 2003, there was someone that our boss hired to sort of be our studio manager. So we had all the underlings, all the kind of CAD monkeys, and then our big boss who was like the department head. Well, he hired someone to, to be our overseer so he could focus on getting new projects, which was actually a smart move. But this guy, he had good intentions, but he had always worked for small firms. They had only recently done CAD. Um, they had still been doing stuff by hand for a long time. Nobody had a cell phone, let alone a Blackberry. And Blackberries weren't super new at that point. They had been around a while. And all of the people who were project managers or above at this company had a Blackberry. So it was this first time that our manager had ever been asked to use a Blackberry. And he just did not check it very often. And, you know, it would buzz when you got a new email or whatever. And the big boss, you know, was really relying on him for timely responses to things. And it was a very big firm. So the hourly rates that he was getting billed out at were just astronomical. Like, it was crazy. Like, you would have thought he was a brain surgeon or an attorney or something with what this guy got paid. And so when he needed an answer, it was costing the company hundreds of dollars for every hour he didn't get an answer. And again, this office manager, he was mid-career, perfectly capable guy, good designer. He was a good boss too. Actually, he was way bo better boss than the fancy boss. But he got fired within about six months of getting that job because he never acclimated to using the BlackBerry. Despite my fancy big boss's repeated requests that he check it every time it buzzed, even you know, outside of like, let's say he was in a meeting or something, or he was driving, he's in the bathroom. Though, yeah, notwithstanding, but checking it as soon as he could, knowing that there was a message waiting there. Um, and he just, he just never did. I don't know. Like it seemed so simple to all of us at the time, but how do you not check your phone when you know, or your Blackberry when you know it's buzzing, but this guy just never came around to it. So that was somebody who was in their forties getting fired for that. So it's not just like a millennial problem. Although I do know several um, millennials who were fired from jobs because they didn't always answer bosses questions over email. They weren't great about checking their email regularly. And I saw a very concerning pattern the last few years that I taught that students just do not check their email. And if I could 
in part on all of you who, who might be in that age group, like how common it is to be fired because you don't read your emails. Please believe it is extremely common. And the Blackberry story is just one example that I have. I know several people who have been fired for not checking their emails. And it's just, it was bizarre to me as a professor that people like would not read emails from professors when the assignment could have changed, the date of a test could have changed. An assignment might have been gotten rid of altogether. Like who knows like what that email could have said. And you just don't know because you can't be bothered to check your email, which is just unbelievable to people who are older millennials, Gen Xers, baby boomers, because younger people are constantly on their phones. So they can't fathom how you don't know what your emails say when you are constantly on Instagram and Snapchat and stuff. And I know a lot of people just don't have email pushed to their phones. Well, in the real world, you have to do that. You know, if, if you're in college and you're just not reading your email, you're just hurting yourself, right? That's just your money you're wasting. But in the real world, when you're wasting your company's money, you will not last long. So some more general types of email pet peeves. When people don't use paragraphs, that is hard. So try to keep paragraphs in your emails. Don't write just big, long, run-on paragraphs. If you use Gmail, there's a tendency for Gmail to put the photos in a body of an email instead of as an attachment. So please do put things as attachments because it's really hard for people to read on their phones. It's also harder for them to download it. And forwarding often doesn't work, especially like if somebody has an older email provider, if you try to forward a photo that has the photo in the body of the email instead of as an attachment, it might not go through. That happened to me quite a few times the last few years when I would try to send something from somebody else from Gmail to Outlook, the picture would just not stick and somebody would write back and be like, there's no picture. So I'd have to remember the next time I was at a computer, save the image out as a file and then reattach it to an email, which was just like so many extra steps that could have just been avoided had the thing been an attachment to begin with. I could have just forwarded it straight from my phone, right? Which again, helps with timeliness, helps make people look professional. You're not holding up someone else or making them look bad. If you have a bunch of files that you need to attach, it's often better to just package them or zip them together. You know, if you're getting over like five email attachments, chances are you're better off to package those up so that people don't accidentally miss one, especially when you have file names that are all very similar, like image 00013B, image 0013B, you know, like it just gets really easy for people to mistakenly skip one. This could be specific to the professions who deal with Adobe, but if you have InDesign files, they have to be packaged or people will not get full res versions of your images. They won't get your fonts. Package it, zip that folder and send that or put that on the FTP site or whatever the heck. You've got to make sure your fonts are embedded or your links are done right. 
If you don't know what any of that stuff means, look it up on YouTube. There's so many very helpful videos about how to do that. And I'll probably even make one in the future. Now that I know that this is as big of a problem as it is, the number of friends of mine who said like people just send InDesign files, INDD files, with fonts that don't come with your computer, I was like, I would have thought people knew to package, but I guess they don't. So maybe I need to make a video about it. <laughs> Emails where people ask to schedule a 15-minute one-on-one call when you could have just called somebody or just probably emailed them your question if it was that short. People who don't use calendar invites. People who text and say, did you see my email? That could be a two-way street though. If you are not reliable and you don't answer people, I kind of don't blame them for saying that in a text. But if you are a reliable person and it's only been like 20 minutes and you get a text from someone that says, did you see my email? I'm like, yeah, that's gonna be annoying. My biggest piece of advice to anybody of any age, if you are working with someone, especially if they're outside your office and you don't know like what their day is like and they've asked you for something that you know is timely. And again, don't assume you're busier than somebody else. Like, if you can't get to it that day, don't just let them hang. Like, they could very well be sitting there waiting for an answer from you, having no way to move forward. So if you are able to say to them, even in two sentences, like, I received your email, I can't get to it today, but I will answer you tomorrow by lunchtime. That could make an enormous difference in the rest of their day. And knowing that they will hear from you can just give them a lot of peace of mind. But then again, like, don't leave them hanging the next day either. Like, I cannot tell you how much this comes up. This is probably my biggest frustration now that I'm out on my own, working for myself, trying to partner with other people and just not knowing what they're doing and what I'm going to get an answer from, from them. I would be so grateful in every instance if someone could just say, I saw your email and I'll get back to you tomorrow. Or I saw your email, I'm swamped, I'll answer you on Wednesday. Like something. Because people who just don't answer emails, you don't know what they're doing. You don't know if you're going to hear from them. You don't know if they even read your email. And that might be why you're getting voicemails in rapid succession, or you're getting three emails from someone with the same question. Like, all you have to do is let them know that you saw their email. Very simple thing, very polite thing to do. Tons of typos in an email. If it's short and it says, quote, sent from my iPhone or sent from Android, people do seem to give you a little bit more of a pass. But even then, I don't necessarily give people a pass because typos can actually change the meaning of something quite a bit. And I would recommend as much as you can replying from your computer because then you can turn on something like Grammarly that will catch a lot of mistakes for you. This is not any sort of paid endorsement. I'm way too small to have any sort of sponsors. But Grammarly is amazing, y'all. It's worth the money if you know you're not a great writer. And if you do find that you are a pretty good writer, people have told you that over the years, then you could get away with the free version because it will catch stuff like that. 
Likewise, it typically just looks more professional when your email signature is clearly from your computer. Some people don't care, but I have run across quite a few, a surprising number of people who find it unprofessional to see sent from my iPhone or sent from Android as your email signature. So maybe consider if you are somebody who has to email a lot from your phone, changing that email signature so it looks like your regular one that comes right out of your email on your computer. And here's the one that I was guilty of. I had two people say something about email signatures. So this, this is certainly a problem in general, not leaving a signature on an email. If you do use your phone and don't have a signature set up, that's a problem. If you don't have one set up in your Gmail or your Outlook, that is a huge problem. People don't even necessarily have web addresses that match up with their emails anymore. Like I don't, I have a Gmail for my email and it's not the same as what my .com is. So, you know, I have an email signature. I would keep your email signatures consistent and make sure that they're showing up anytime you reply, wherever you're replying from. The thing that I was guilty of that oh, somebody brought up to me was not having your phone number in your email signature. And that did not occur to me at all until this person said it because the very few people that call me, if they're gonna call me, they I know they already have my phone number. I don't ever get phone calls from people who don't already know my number or I'm gonna give it to them in an email. But it is nice if it was already there. Recently, someone did have to ask me for my phone number and they wouldn't have if I'd already had it in my email signature all along. Cause we'd already went back and forth several times. So I was like, you know what? That is a good one. I'm going to do that from now on. So I immediately went and fixed it in my email signatures. When you are out and about, it is kind of a pain to have to look back through people's email chains to see if some point there was a, a phone number given or if you're out and your data connection isn't great and you're trying to look up somebody's website to find their phone number, what if their firm has a bunch of locations and you can only get the main office? You may want people's direct line. And I mean, I've seen people even go as far as giving their cell phone number. I don't think you need to do that. You can give your office number and let people leave a voicemail. You don't have to give them your personal cell phone number, I don't think. But there have been several times when I've been out running around doing meetings and stuff and been like, ugh, I just need to call this person. It'll be easier than emailing them. I pull up my last email from them. I don't even know what their phone number is, let alone maybe even what company they're from. So have that kind of stuff in your email signature. The next common problem is talking over people, especially women. And similar to that, when someone who just doesn't like you doesn't like your response and they try to play the card of like I know so and so or my cousins on the city council and they'll be hearing about this or I've known the mayor longer than you've been alive and I don't think he or she would like to know that this is going on this person has been hired on their experience and merits so yeah they probably do know what they're talking about and I don't care how long you've been friends with the mayor like they're probably going to be annoyed that you've wasted their time bringing up something when you were already given the correct answer by the original party. And other related concerns of interpersonal dealings 
It is a huge problem when you talk over someone because they are a woman. It is so frustrating as a competent, educated, experienced woman for people to not take you seriously. It doesn't matter though if this is your first job and you're working retail or you're at McDonald's and it's your second day at the job or you have been the head of the planning department of a major metropolitan planning department for 30 years. People will talk over you because you're a woman. They'll either talk over someone, they will repeat what that person just said like they came up with it themselves or they'll completely just bulldoze over what someone is saying. Or they get an answer that they don't like and they need to hear it from somebody else. Coworkers do it. Members of the public do it. People from other departments do it. It is rude and it is unacceptable in 2019. It is not 1850. You need to get over yourself. I had one nice man write in that he's overheard quite a few other men treat the female planners in his office like they are not qualified to help them. And this has happened to every woman I know. But that is especially ironic because a lot of times the female planners have been in the office longer than most of the male planners and they certainly know the ordinance or the rules or whatever better than most of the men in that office. So now I'm getting to the last section which is just general complaints. The most important one I thought was the one that comes up first here. One friend of mine used to have a coworker who would ask personal non-related questions without prompting. It doesn't matter what it is. People's business is their business. Especially if they are someone who is a minority or LGBTQ+. You cannot ask them, are you dating anyone? I want to meet your boyfriend. We should all hang out this weekend. You need to wait until a colleague is open and trusting enough of you to share their personal life with you. Do not pry for that information. If you ask to be their friend on Facebook or Instagram and they don't answer you right away, that is their right. And it may be nothing personal whatsoever. You don't know what experiences people have had with social media coming to back to bite them in the office. When people know you too well, there is a certain amount of camaraderie and teamwork that comes from that, but it also can backfire. And I've seen it backfire on people. And that is really unfortunate. So if someone wants to keep their personal life personal, just let them be. Do not pry. You may be just a nice person. You may just mean well. You want them to feel like they fit in, but it's actually extremely inappropriate and creates discomfort, especially if someone is LGBTQ plus and they may not be quote out to everyone at work. They may not even be out to their own family. So why would they want to talk to you about it? Just let people have their privacy. Second one, taking care of personal hygiene within the office, like clipping your nails. That is disgusting. Do not do that at work. Or throwing the leftovers of your lunch in the trash can at your desk instead of taking it to the kitchen. You may not realize, but your tuna fish that you did not eat will stink up the whole office. That's so nasty. When you don't read contractual documents, that's real bad. 
if someone needs you to review their work and you accept it but didn't actually look at it, that's real bad. If you ask for someone's opinion but never take it, that's pretty bad. If you are a person who is unorganized, it might be the worst of everything on this list. Being disorganized makes you more enemies than you realize. Costs everybody time and money and patience. It hurts workplace morale significantly. I don't know if people can learn how to be organized. I imagine there are books about it. Maybe you can watch Tidying Up with Marie Kondo a hundred thousand times. I'm not sure. I have a feeling that some people are just born disorganized. I also have a theory that people are just lazy, especially white males who are so used to having everybody just work around them that they never try to rectify their behavior and get more organized. It was one of the most frustrating things at my last job when I was in academia because in the real world, people wouldn't get away with it like they do in academia. But people who are tenure track or tenured, they know they basically have a job for life and they just expect everybody to work around them and it's awful. If you are in the real world and you are disorganized, you're probably gonna have to learn how to tidy that ship up pretty fast or you're not gonna make it again because time is money. And if you're costing your company time, people above you are not gonna put up with that. But aside from the money issue, you can cause people significant liability problems like legal shit that could be really, really bad and cause your company to get sued because you just couldn't keep all your ducks in a row. And for the final one, don't make the coffee too weak. People need their coffee. People will get riled up if their coffee is made poorly. If someone in your office makes poor coffee, offer to do it for them. Otherwise, get your Starbucks for yourself or whatever on your way in. Shop small or get Starbucks. So I hope you enjoyed this list of pet peeves from my friends and colleagues. I think there was a lot of gems in here. I wish I could have read the emails to you, but oftentimes it would have given away who someone was, but they were genuinely hilarious. And I was always reading them in my friends' voices. So that was pretty hilarious. Like I said at the beginning, I think these are pretty universal. If you're my friend and you responded to my email and I left yours out, please don't be mad at me. It's just because you came up with something that was very specific or you were the only person who came up with that one and you're certainly not wrong. But for brevity's sake, I only listed the complaints that were mentioned more than one time. And I think the overall moral of the story here is for people to get over themselves and be more considerate of other people's time. Quit assuming that your time is more valuable than other people's and do what you can to help others move forward on what they need to do before you worry about your own shit. Again, I hope everybody could learn something from this. And if you are guilty of one or more of these, nobody knows that you've listened to this. So if you just magically rectify any of these that you're guilty of, people will just be like, whoa you will look so awesome to everybody else because just one day you finally decided that you were going to read all your emails to the end and it makes everybody happier or whatever. (laughs) 
So thank you all for listening. If you have ideas for future episodes or questions that you would like answered, please contact me at hellocitypodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet me at hellocitypod. If you would prefer in the future to listen to bleeped versions of the episodes so you don't hear the swears, you can instead go to my YouTube channel, Hello City Podcast. The bleeped versions are there. We're also on Instagram at Hello City Podcast. And finally, we have a Patreon at hellocitypodcast.com. You can link through to that if you're interested in any way in participating in that. Otherwise, I look forward to talking with you in a future episode very soon. And remember, make no small plans. Have a great day. Pages turn on a calendar, laser reads a disc to tell you how I've been. And I know I'm one of the little things like some hollow compliment, but nothing can give you the same, the same feeling. And I know every room inside your house Like I have the key to every door And I'll come if there's nothing to do And I don't know what I'd do With all of my time If I could not devote it to you To you Cause I like your eyes And the way that they shine There's a chance for us Like a chance for rain If we only tried But now summer had me worrying All the leaves had left the trees And the winter had me holding my tongue Knowing photographs we take You're still standing next to me Tell me what is it I could have done that kept you around It's a thin piece of steel Through the hole in your ear It's a jewel that hangs low in the sky You're enamored by the sincerity That collects in both my eyes And it never loses its shine Oh, how it shines I'm just scared of the way that history won't change So I wave my hand to those things I've done Cause they're not coming back again our time with caps and gowns trade condolences and praise we're just happy we made it alive but this town is getting old and i know everybody's name i think it's time to start living my life
and all that's left of it. But I'll keep you in mind to the day that I die. Said, find me again when we both grow old. And I'll make up for lost time. Said, I'll keep you in mind till the day that I die. Said, call me again when we both grow old. And I'll make up for lost time.